Thank you. If you're able, I'll ask you to stand and we're going to read from Romans chapter 15. We're only going to read two verses. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. God's word says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I was planning to take on a much larger portion of scripture today, but I I couldn't move beyond these, just these two verses uh, too quickly. So we're going to camp out in these two verses. Um, Paul is transitioning to the end of this letter. Can you believe it? He's transitioning 15 and 16 are the final chapters. Um, He's entering into the final phase of his letter when he'll start to make some more personal remarks to his people and he, he gets a little warm and um, he has, he says these three things in verse 14. And if you really listen to what he's saying, if you take it literally the way I do, I tend to be very literal with language. Um, it drives my wife crazy sometimes because I split hairs with my literal interpretation of everything. But if you take what he says literally, it has to leave you scratching your head after this whole letter that we just read. Look again at what he says in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What? If he's so satisfied with their goodness and their knowledge and their ability, why did he write Romans? I mean, in Romans, he has said some, some, as he says in the next verse, very bold things to these people. He's pointed out that they are judging each other. He's pointed out that they are being hypocritical in some areas. He has pointed out that, in large part, they're misunderstanding the gospel. He needs to remind them of the gospel. They, they're straying towards legalism, some of them. Some of them are straying towards license, which means I can do whatever I want because Jesus will forgive me. Um, there's division that he's addressing. There's weakness in the faith. And they're in need of very bold reminder. Yet, here in verse 14, he says, I'm satisfied with you folks. You're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. The commentators don't know what to do with it hardly. I've read many different explanations in the commentaries. Some of them say, it's hyperbole. It's just extreme exaggeration to make his point. He doesn't really mean that they're full and filled and able like this. Uh, others say that he's speaking in relative terms. He's saying that these Christians are, compared to the pagan Romans, they're more full of goodness and knowledge and ability. Um, one guy thought that he was basically being sarcastic, saying, oh, you're just full of goodness and kindness and knowledge so that they would realize how bankrupt of goodness and knowledge they really were. I wonder what you think. I'm just curious what theories are developing in your minds. I have my theory, which is right, and I'm going to tell you, <laughs> tell you what I think about it. Um, I do feel confident in, in my understanding of this, but as always, you need to have your 
face in your Bibles because I could be wrong, but I'm going to try to just give you scripturally what I believe he's saying. And I think it will, I think there, there are a couple of lessons for us in it. Um, so let's just work through uh, one phrase at a time, starting with, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. That word satisfied, it means uh, to be persuaded or convinced. He's persuaded, he's convinced about something regarding the Christians in the Roman church. One thing you have to remember about Paul, who wrote this letter, this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the Roman church, the Christians in Rome. Paul was not a pastor, he was a church planter. He wasn't a pastor, he was a church planter. So his goal is to establish the church. And as we're going to see as we read on after Easter, down in verses uh, 18 through 21, I'll read to you. Continuing off of this thought we're studying today, he says, uh, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by, power, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around, uh, I should have looked up how to say that word, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, and this is the point I wanted to make, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see him, and those who have never heard will understand. I know that was a mouthful. That was a lot to take in. Basically what he's saying is, I've been working really hard around this region and I'm ready to move on now. So I think this whole unit of thought, he's, he's saying, I'm satisfied with you folks. I've, I feel good about what you have going on in the Roman church. I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that I can move forward now where Jesus hasn't been named. That the church is, it's planted, it's taken root, it's secure. This is one reason I believe he actually means what he is saying when he says that they are full of goodness and filled with knowledge and all these things. I think he's looking over his work and he's, he feels good about the people. So, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. And then why is he satisfied? The next phrase in verse 14, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Full of goodness. It means just what you would think. They're full to the top, completely of goodness. These people that he's just been talking to about hypocrisy and judgment and division and weakness of faith, full to the top of goodness. Paul's satisfied. There is a sense, Christians, there is a sense in which you already have all the goodness that you need. There is a sense in which you're full of goodness. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't have to flip there. We're going to use other scriptures more than I typically do this morning because I want to prove to you that I'm right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, famous passage. Paul's talking about uh, the ministry of reconciliation, what Christ does in his people. And he says in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making a God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when you become a Christian, you're you're not entering into like a, a spiritual gym membership where you have to come in here and you have to work out and you have to develop a righteousness and a goodness. When you become a Christian, you are completely transformed, made new, newly created. As all of your sin goes on to Jesus and all of his righteousness goes on to you. And you remember in Genesis 1, when God creates things, After he stands back, he looks at them. What does he say about the things that he creates? He says, it's good. So as a Christian, God has newly created you, and he stands back and he looks at you and he says, it's good. This this is good. You are good. So in this sense, we don't need, our task as Christians is not to become better people. It's to live in light of the fact that we've already been made good people. We've already been made righteous. Now, some of you, this just feels incorrect. Some of you, just this morning is enough evidence to counteract everything I've just said. Just the car ride here with your spouse, maybe. There's a reason why this doesn't seem true, though it is true. There's a couple of reasons. There's two. I'll give you the harshest possible reason first, and then I'll give you the softer reason. Uh, For one reason that the church may not seem full of good people is that the church isn't necessarily full of Christians. In every local congregation, you have what the Bible calls wheat and tares. You have, you know, the wheat, the Christians, and then you have the tares that look just like wheat, look just like Christians, but are not actually renewed, made new creations in Jesus. And you can't really tell the difference between the two. So you have new creatures and old creatures all mingling together. And who knows who's who, and so it's a mess. So the harshest possible reason why you may not feel as though you are the righteousness of Christ, maybe you're not. Maybe you've been doing church stuff, and you haven't been renewed, transformed, changed, saved, forgiven, newly created in Jesus Christ. I've been praying and praying and praying that the Holy Spirit would make that plain to each of us where we stand in that regard. Okay, so that's one possibility. The other reason this doesn't seem true, like we're full of goodness, is because of a, I'm going to teach you a a term here that you can sound fancy if you use. It's because of something called progressive sanctification. 
progressive sanctification. Anybody heard that phrase? You know what progress means? It's something that happens over time and makes progress and gets better or gets more. Sanctification is the process by which we grow to look more like Jesus. So when you become a Christian, you're not immediately sanctified, though you are immediately transformed and forgiven and cleansed and made new. Sanctification is different. It's the process by which we become who we are. Okay, are your minds twisted into pretzels yet? I hope so. Jesus talks about it in terms of trees and fruit. Uh, He says in, I think, Luke and probably some of the other gospels too, that you can tell a tree by its fruit. A good tree will produce good fruit and a bad tree will produce bad fruit. And that's how you know if the tree is good or bad. So you should think about your fruit. Now it could be that there's a discrepancy between your fruit and thinking that you're a good tree because you're a good tree that still has old fruit hanging on your branches that just haven't quite dried up and fallen off yet. But what you're producing now as a new creature is good. The deep down truest you is good. It could also be that you're still a bad tree and you're trying to duct tape fake fruit onto your limbs. And that's what a lot of people are doing in churches. They're still the same old, shriveled, dead, dying, decaying tree, but they want to look healthy, vibrant, and Christian-like. So they duct tape on fruit, church attendance, nice smile. Um, they, They don't outright cuss people out of their face, even if they may feel it in their hearts. They tape on fake fruit. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to pretend to be something you're not. And a lot of people find church exhausting. And they go home from here and they go home into their homes and it's just like, I can just be me again. See, that is exhausting. That probably means you need to come to Christ and be renewed. Sorry, every once in a while my voice just like disappears down my throat and I have to go get it. Whereas instead of that exhausting pretense, it's exhilarating to become who you really are. So Paul looks at the Roman church and he says, I'm satisfied. I believe you're, you're full of goodness. I believe this transaction has taken place. You have received Christ's righteousness. No, you're not perfect. Like I've told you already, you're, there's a bunch of hypocrisy. There's a bunch of judgment, judgmentalism. There's you know, weak faith. You're not perfect in practice. But you are full of goodness. You are Christians. I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you're full of goodness. And I have to say one more thing before we move to the next. This truth that in Christ you are already perfect in God's eyes, you are already the new creation, is powerful. It's been powerful in my life, especially when battling sin. You don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder if any of you are battling some particular sin that you cannot seem to conquer, you cannot seem to stop. You see it as sin, you hate it as sin, and yet your flesh just wants it. Don't raise your hands if that's you, but I suspect that some of you it is. I've been in that place, and I want to read to you the scripture that dealt the death blow to that sin in my life over time. It's in Romans 6. All good scriptures come from Romans. It's in Romans 6, 
And Paul says, I used to have it memorized. I'm not going to try to recite it because I'll mess it all up. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And here's the point. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, what made all the difference to me with this habitual sin wasn't strategies to do better, accountability partners. None of that stuff did anything for me. What made all the difference for me was the power of the scriptural truth that I'm already dead to it. I am already full of of goodness in this area. I'm already dead. So Paul saw that in his people in the Roman church. I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you're full of goodness. And then the next phrase, filled with all knowledge. So just like there's a sense in which you already have all the goodness you need in Christ, there's also a sense in which you already have the knowledge you need in Christ. I'm going to read you another passage. This is 1 Corinthians 2. This one blows my mind as a preacher. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul, this is Paul saying this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this is the apostle Paul saying, reminding them of how he came bringing the gospel. He came very simply and he resolved only to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the whole extent of his gospel message. And churches just blew up over it. Blew up in the sense of we're planted and grew, not blew up in the sense of as we're destroyed. It's an important distinction. This is so dangerous for someone like me because you, you, you think that the more brilliance you can come with, the more I can dazzle you into changing, into being renewed, and, and the church will grow healthier. That's not how it works. It's the simple knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you have that, then you are full of all the knowledge you need to be the church. He says elsewhere that knowledge puffs up, makes you proud, whereas love builds up. He's talking, when he writes to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy, he's a protege pastor of Paul's. He's talking about troublemakers in the church, and he says this of them. They're always learning, yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. I've known people like that. Always learning, always reading, always listening to sermons on podcasts or on TV or on the radio. They're always taking in for more and more knowledge, yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
We've been given the Holy Spirit, which will lead us to all truth, enable us to see and hear. He's called the Spirit of Truth. So we're not less able to powerfully minister to each other and to our communities because we don't know enough. Who do you think had access to more knowledge? You or the apostles? Take Paul. Who had access to more knowledge to use in the Christian life? Paul didn't even have a compiled New Testament. Who here has a smartphone on them? Let me see it if you have it. Some of you people have it in your hand because you claim that you're reading your Bible on it, but you're texting. (laughs) In your hand, you have like infinity of knowledge. But are you any better off for it? Are you any more capable of being Christ-like for it? Are you any more able to make disciples because of it? No, not really, because the knowledge isn't what's necessary. You have all the knowledge you need. You're, you've got, you're full of all the knowledge you need if you know Jesus Christ and him crucified. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Able to instruct one another. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Total Church. It's really good. I recommend it. When I finish, it'll be in the book exchange cart. Um, In the UK, apparently, they're way ahead of the curb from us uh, in secularization, uh, in the fact that the church has pretty much diminished all of its power. Nobody goes to church. Nobody believes in Christ hardly. And over there, there's this church planting movement called the Crowded House. And it's basically a house church planting movement. So they don't have staff, guys with ties, They don't have sanctuaries. They don't have church facilities. They have Christians armed with their new lives in Jesus Christ, armed with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have people coming to him. They have converts. They have new disciples being made over lunches and game nights and barbecues and just hanging out and and work, just being with people. And what they're finding is that this verse is true. They are good enough, knowledgeable enough to instruct one another. This word instruct means admonish. It means it's a, it's a pretty meaty word. It basically means to get in there and, and put into your mind the right ideas so that we grow together as a church. You're good enough and know enough to do this for each other in little conversations or in a Sunday school classroom or in a house-to-house group, which everyone in here needs to go to one this week and stick in there. Um, See, Paul is moving on from these people. He's looking over these people and he's saying, I'm satisfied. I think you've got Christ, you've got goodness, you've got knowledge, you're able to instruct one another. So I'm going to step on toward places that don't have Christ. And what he expects is for them to grow together as they instruct one another. And that's how it works. As Christians, we grow together or we don't grow at all. Listening to some sermons on uh, the TV or the podcast is fine and good and healthy and you should do it. But you're not going to grow unless you're intermingled with other Christians instructing one another. That's how the church works. 
We grow together or we don't grow at all. That's one of the reasons I really do want everybody to be a part of something like house to house. It doesn't have to be house to house, but have at least a group that you know well enough and that knows you well enough so that you can instruct one another and you can grow together. Go to lunch after the sermon and, and chew up the text that we studied together and grow together. Over the dinner table at your home or invite friends over, whatever. You're good enough and you're knowledgeable enough if you are a Christian to instruct one another. I get asked all the time, how's the church doing? People out there, how's things going at the church? That is an impossible question to answer without an hour or two hours. How's the church doing? That's saying, how are 100 to 120 people doing? Well, let me get out my directory and we'll go one by one and I'll tell you how the church is doing. Because it's complicated because people are struggling and other people are, some people are in a valley, some people are at a mountain peak and some are really grown and some are really getting it. Some are repenting of their sins and they're being freed and it's beautiful. Some are learning how to endure and persevere and really difficult circumstances. Others are ignoring it completely and they're coming in here and they're going out the door and, you know, they're living their lives the way they want to live their lives and their hearts week by week are getting harder and harder and harder. People are sick. People are dying. Children are growing. Um, Men and women are learning how to bring their children up in the instruction of the Lord. Uh, Young people are learning how to engage their peers with the gospel. There's a billion things going on in the church. How's the church doing? I don't know. It's doing all kinds of stuff. Just come and be a part of it and you'll find out. But I think if Paul had planted Doolin's Grove and he was writing a letter to us, I think that he would say, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I think he would say that, not because we are so perfect. Good gracious, we're so far from being perfect. Look at your pastor. I mean, I seriously half the time don't know what I'm doing. But I, like you, have Jesus Christ. I think he would look to us and say, I'm satisfied with you, my brothers. You've got what you need. So, Paul wrote to remind the Roman church of all these things and to remind us of all these things. So like the Roman Christians, let's become who we are in Christ. Let's pray.